0: Well, if you're new with us here this morning, we're in a series in the book of 2 Corinthians that we have titled Power and Weakness. And we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. And today uh, we're going to look at chapter seven. And I've titled this message, Cultivating Godly Relationships, Cultivating godly relationships the apostle paul has written a good deal to the christians about what it looks like to have healthy godly relationships and in this letter particular he spends a lot of time uh investing in his relationship as as their spiritual leader and encouraging them to do what's right and encouraging them to avoid those who would lead them astray now, let me just start with just a couple of um, uh, stats. Uh, one, one written by the uh, George Barna uh, Research Group. This was a, a couple years ago. It says that the relational well being of Americans was already strained prior to the pandemic. According to the data collected for restoring relationships, more than half of US adults. Uh, 58%, and, and practicing Christians, 54%, say that they have at least one relational or emotional slash mental issue that impacts their relationships. Younger generations were, were already reporting higher levels of loneliness and longing for connection. And now a new layer of complexity and challenge has, has been added to the couples who are quarantining and working from home and singles who are isolating alone and friends are thinking twice about meeting for coffee. Relational strain has, has had much more potential to increase in recent months, perhaps exponentially. Now that may feel like a long ways away, just two years ago, but we were in the middle of COVID and quarantining and our relationships were stifled in many ways. Right? We weren't able to connect as much in many ways with one another. And it was highlighted during that season how important relationships are. It's not good for man to be alone. Right? We saw just a rise in mental health issues and anxiety and depression. And, and that seems to continue to be rising. Um, and so we need healthy friendships, especially. In hard times, research um, from from two thousand high school students uh, per, that you can catch depression. Um, the research actually shows uh, that kids who initially scored as clinically depressed did not did not infect their friends, but if they had enough friends who had what the study called healthy mood, that double That would double their chances of recovering from depression. Thomas House, one of the the researchers from the University of Manchester, summarizes, we were pretty much directly observing this process of your friend influencing you. And the nice conclusion that we got was that your friends can protect you from depression and help you recover from it. Amen. Amen. We need each other. God has created us for community and if you're a christian he's put you into his family he's formed you for family and he's and he's made you an important part of the family of god and the apostle paul has a lot to say about relationships jesus had a lot to teach on relationships and christianity has been summed up as as us loving god and loving people right And so today we're going to look at cultivating godly relationships. And I think the Apostle Paul does a great job in modeling this and casting vision for what this looks like in the life of the church. Let's pray and we'll read the scripture together. Father, open our eyes as we open the pages of scripture. Speak to us about our relationships, about our relationship with you, and are about, about our relationship with one another and lead us God to, to have to cultivate healthy, godly relationships that spur us on, that stir us to love and good deeds that that challenge us to live on mission that challenge us to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do together, so give us vision for that. Move us on your agenda, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to continue, you. For I said, that, I said before that you were in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction, I am overwhelming with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he comfort, he, he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that, that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, but for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we have said To you is true. So also our boasting before Titus has proved true, and his affection for you is even greater. And he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. And I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, "Amen." So here's our big idea this morning: God calls His people to cultivate godly relationships that produce. Mutual encouragement and require honesty, intentionality, vulnerability, love, and repentance. Okay? God calls his people to cultivate godly relationships that produce mutual encouragement and require honesty, intentionality, vulnerability, love, and repentance. Now, the first thing I want to highlight here, and this is implicit, not explicit in the text, But cultivating godly relationships helps us pursue holiness. Cultivating godly relationships helps us pursue holiness. Look at verse 1. He says, since then, and he's building off the latter half of chapter 6, which the apostle Paul exhorted the Corinthians not to be yoked, unequally yoked, with unbelievers not to partner with them, not to partake with them in their ungodly practices, okay? Now, this this obviously refers to pagan worship and the pagan practices of, of the Corinthian culture, but it also refers to those leaders who were influencing and those who were trying to lead the Corinthians astray. And so Paul was calling the Corinthians... To godly relationships, healthy relationships that would help them move towards Christ and His mission for their lives. And so built upon that in verse seven, seven, verse one, He says, since we have these promises, the promises mentioned 18, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Okay, we have great promises in Christ. We have been accepted into the family of God. We have been reconciled with God. We have been forgiven. We've been brought into friendship with God, and God promises that He will dwell in us and with us, and He will father us. That's good. That's good news. These promises should motivate us and help us towards godliness. And so should these partnerships that we link arm with with others who are running hard after Jesus. They should help move us towards holiness and godliness. And Paul says to do this in, in the fear of the Lord. To move towards this, this holy, consecrated life in the fear of the Lord. And in chapter six, he says to do this with others. Don't, 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 don't link up with unbelievers and ungodly people with ungodly practices. And as I mentioned last week, it's not that Jesus wants his, this, his followers to go out of the world. He prayed in John 17, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but, but that you keep them from the evil one. You send them, let them be in the world, but not of the world, right? And so we have a responsibility to be witnesses and shine our light and point people to Jesus and bring people to Christ. But we must have healthy boundaries and and, and guard ourselves from being drawn away by the ideologies, by the, the lifestyle, the thinking and the living of those who don't know Jesus. And so we need one another to encourage us on this journey to cultivate holiness and godly, godly living. The second thing that I want to highlight here that Paul um, emphasizes in verse 2 is he, he says, Make room in your hearts for us. Cultivating godly relationships requires that we make room in our lives for others. That we make room in our lives for others. The Apostle Paul perceived a threat that they were being drawn away. And he writes more about this later on uh, in this chapter. That, that they were being drawn away from Christ and drawn away from him who was the, the messenger that Christ sent to bring the good news to them. He was concerned about them being drawn away to another gospel, heeding another spirit. Right? And so, so he, he, he gives very strong language to them. Actually, there's a letter that he sent before this that was described as a severe letter. And he had some really hard things to say to them. And I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But making room, cultivating godly relationships requires we make room in our lives for others. And making room, uh, involves speaking honestly, and freely with others, speaking up, opening up with others. He said this in chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. He said, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So cultivating godly relationships requires us to open up our hearts to others. And sometimes this is really difficult when we've been hurt and we've experienced disappointment in relationships and people have let us down. First and foremost, this, this opening up of our hearts should start with God and he's the safest place for us to open up our hearts to. He's the one that we can give our hearts completely to and not have them crushed. He says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's, that's for your own good too. That's for his glory. And he's designed us for that, to be in relationship with him. But he knows that that's the very best thing for us, that we give ourselves fully to him. Because he's never going to fail us. He's never going to let us down. His love is consistent. He's, he's, his faithfulness endures forever. His love endures forever. And so this also involves making room by expressing mutual, brotherly affection and commitment. The Apostle Paul does this over and over in this letter. He expresses how he loves them. And he does this in other letters. This is a good thing for us to do as Christians. To freely communicate that. To me, it's, it's sad when I've heard about parents, a father, fathers who... Never never say those words to their children. I love you. That's a sad thing. That's a sad thing because God does that for us. The apostle Paul models the health of a godly, strong, uh, rough and tough man who's, who's able to say, I love you guys. I love you guys. That's a good, healthy thing in cultivating godly relationships. That's something we should be able to do with one another, not hold back affections and affirmation and be able in a pure, healthy way, say, I love you, I'm for you. Amen? We need to hear those words. Those are powerful words, some of the most powerful words that we can say to one another. I love you. I'm for you. I'm committed to helping you be all that God's called you to be. And so so we must do that. Who are you making room for in your hearts, in your lives? Or who are you failing to make room for that the Lord may want you to create space for? Are you discipling somebody? Are you mentoring somebody and helping them walk closer to Jesus? Are you pouring into their lives? Are you involved in a community group? Do people know you? Are you known? And so there is a risk. There's a risk of loving and opening up. And C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his book, Four Loves. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe, in the casket of, or a coffin of your selfishness. But in, the, in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can perfectly uh, be, be perfectly safe from all the dangers and per, perturb, ter, perturbations of love is hell. So there's a risk of loving. There's a risk of opening up, but it's worth it. And our Lord Jesus did that. And he calls us to do that in relationship. Cultivating godly relationships brings refreshment, comfort, encouragement, and joy. Notice what Paul says here in verse 6. And Paul was going through a really difficult time as he was waiting for Titus and waiting to get word back from the Corinthians and their response to his severe letter He was struggling. He was going through a very dark, difficult time. And I appreciate his vulnerability in communicating that in this letter. Verse 5, he says, But even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God who comforts the downcast. If you're here today and you're downcast, you're discouraged, you're going through a dark and difficult time, know that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction, who comforts the downcast. But often, oftentimes what it looks like is what it looked like here is God sending a person who embodies love and truth And he sends a person into your life to express that love and to remind you that he's there, to remind you that he's working. And so we see that here with the coming of Titus. Paul's heart was encouraged by the very presence of Titus as Paul was going through a dark time. Think about dark times in your life when God has sent people in your life to be there, to be present through the most difficult of times and how precious they were and their presence, how much of a gift their presence was to you through that difficult time. We all need that. We're provided that in Christ, but we must be intentional to cultivate those relationships. It takes intentionality. It takes investment. And then also verse 7, he says, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. So Titus was comforted by the Corinthians. There's some godly relationships occurring here. There's some encouragement. There's some comfort. There's some refreshing. There's some joy that is, is occurring here through these relationships. This is ours in Christ Jesus. God doesn't want us to miss out on this richness of fellowship That we have in Christ. This comfort of love. This encouragement. Philippians 2 talks about. But it requires us to be in proximity with others. To get around others. And to to, to make ourselves available. To make room in our lives. And in our hearts. To walk with one another. In verse 13. Paul says. Therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort. We rejoice still the more. At the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. I love this. There's, a, there's a, at least one, one other person in the Bible that is described as refreshing others, and that's Onesimus. Right? He refreshed the hearts of the saints. I love this idea. I love this reality that you and I have the capacity as followers of Jesus To bring refreshing to others, to bring encouragement, to be conduits of God's grace, conduits of God's comfort, conduits of God's love. And bring joy and share joy and spread joy into the lives of others who are going through very difficult times. And this is what we do when we gather. This is one of the reasons why we gather as the people of God. We need one another, we need God in his presence and and we get we get that refreshing from from his presence, don't we if we're spending time with him in his presence is fullness of joy we get joy in his presence, we get joy from his word uh, and I'm reminded of acts uh, three where Peter tells the, the 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 Jews in Jerusalem to repent, repent at times of re, repent and be baptized, repent at times of refresh. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, this relationship with God brings refreshing, and relationship with others who are walking with God brings refreshing. Are you that kind of person that refreshes the lives of those that you're around? We can be refreshing to others, or we can be draining to others and toxic to others. And we want to be those who refresh, encourage, comfort, and convey joy like Titus. And like the Corinthians did with, with to Titus. I was reading in Proverbs 27 this week as I was thinking about this. Proverbs, 20, well, it was, it was October 27th. And sometimes I'll turn to the proverb of the day, October on the, the day of the month. The message says this: Just as lotion and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. A sweet friendship refreshes the soul. Twenty-seven, seventeen says, "As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens his friend." We need good friendships. It was, uh, I think, it was Larry Crabb, the Christian counselor psychologist, who said about his practice. Um, how he said 90% of the people who come to our practice to see the counselors, they don't need a counselor. They need a Christian friend who will listen. We need friends, Christian friends, godly friends who will refresh, encourage, comfort, be with us through the times of difficulty. Eugene Peterson says this, writing about, Proverbs 27, 17, he says, how do we sharpen who we are? We do it in relationship with others. One person encounters another and there is exchange of thoughts, feelings, ideas, and values. There's little growth in isolation. Isolated from others, we become dull. Our thinking is blunted as well as our feelings. And with our feelings, our faith, our hope, our love, The only way to remedy that is to routinely rub up against another person in spite of the heat that it may generate or the sparks that may fly. Anybody have rubs with other people that you're close to, that you work with, or that you live with? Iron sharpens iron, okay? Sparks may fly when that's happening. But there's sharpening that's happening. And godly relationships should make us better as a result. As a result of being in relationship with godly people who are pursuing Jesus, we should become more like Jesus. They should rub off on us more. We should be more passionate for Jesus. More passionate for the mission to bring the gospel to those around us. More passionate to make disciples. We want to get around people who are on fire if, we, if we're feeling cold, or even if we're not, we just want to continue to, to excel and grow in Jesus. And so the Bible has a lot of wisdom to say about how we how we choose our friends, and, 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 and how the influences of others, bad company corrupts good good morals, as uh, Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so let's be that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in application at the end here. Well, let's look at let's look at the next thing here. That cultivating godly relationships requires the communication of love and truth, truth and love. Okay, here here's where the sparks start flying. Okay, here's where it gets difficult, right? When you're in relationship with with someone, it's maybe your spouse. Now, just think about couples. Just think about when you first got married. Think about the first conflict you had after you got married. All right. Can y'all remember that? Can anybody? You've forgotten it. As far as the east is from the west, you have just. Maybe you're reminded of it weekly. It's an opportunity for relationships to go deeper when we have those rubs, when we have those conflicts. They don't have to hinder the relationships. They can help the relationships to go deeper. Don't we want to go deeper? Don't we want to be known? Don't we want to know and be known and love and be loved and experience intimacy in a deep level, not just this surface level uh, of being known? We want that. We long for that. Our generation, this generation longs for that, right? And it's so easy for us to keep people at distance through social media. Through text message, instead of showing up at somebody's door, you send a text message, right? Are you home? Then you'll knock on the door, right? Like, like we're able to kind of space out, like give me my space and and, and share just enough of what's going on in our lives. And so it, it takes intentionality. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Cultivating godly relationships requires communication of the truth and love. Now notice what Paul says in verse 8. He says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter. So he wrote a severe letter. He had some hard things to say to the Corinthians. Now, we know from 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, the, the, the first letter, uh, that they had some issues, right? And we all have our issues, right? But there was, there was a messiness within that church. There was a genuine, genuine work that God had done in that church, but there was some messiness. Sanctification is a process, right? And, and and so Paul had some hard things to say about, about unity, humility, morality, and he addressed them. And, and, and he had some, some difficult things to say in this letter about uh, them, them listening to these other ungodly influencers, super apostles or false apostles as he calls them later on. And so he says, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though for a while. So Paul had to say something hard that hurts, right? And there's a time in relationships, in godly relationships, where we have to speak the truth in love, where we have to say something that's really difficult to say, but to say it because we love the person. And we know that it's going to be for their good, and it's going to be for the good of the relationship. And that's how we grow. I like how he the, the NLT puts it in, Uh, Chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Paul also wrote in Ephesians 4, 15, he says that instead of being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, okay, which seemed to be an issue here with the, with the Corinthians that he's addressing in this letter. Uh, we're to, to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him, into him who, who is the head, into Christ. And so let's be committed to do that here at City Church, to speak the truth in love. And to love through, uh, through to, to communicate difficult things in love, uh, in love through the pain uh as as one church father writes he says like a father who watches his son being operated on Paul rejoices not for the pain being inflicted but for the cure which is the ultimate result right i parents you you know the experience i've had it a number of times where your child gets a splinter or a piece of glass in their foot or a tooth that needs to be pulled. And you're just at that moment where it's tense in the house and you know what needs to happen. And you know that inevitably there's going to have to be some pain that's endured for, for a moment of time. And, and as a dad, I want to make that happen quicker for them so they don't have to prolong it. And, and, and it just <laughs> like, let's just get that thing out of there, right? Uh, but, of course, that's an opportunity for me as a dad to be patient and gracious. And my, my wife is so good at that, that nurturing and that mercy. Like, just slow down, right? But but we know as parents that it's going to hurt when there, when there needs to be an operation, when there's an issue that's affecting our, our child that's going to hurt for a moment, and it has to happen. There needs to be that moment where it hurts for the sake of addressing the pain. And that leads us into our next point here is that cultivating godly relationships requires repentance. Cultivating godly relationships requires repentance. You see, sin has a damaging effect upon our relationships, all our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with others. And in the context of trying to love God and love one another and and pursue that life of godliness and holiness, we fail. And our relationships help us see where we fail. Like, you know, when I was a single guy, I thought I was more godly than I really was. But when I got married, and then I had kids, I was able to see more of the sanctification that needs to take place in my life. Through being rubbed up against by my children, my wife, and walking together. Right. And so there's been more opportunities for me as a family man to repent and to own my sin in front of my family and to say, I am sorry. I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. My tone of voice was wrong. My my lack of consideration for you and you all was wrong. And so relationships confront us with that reality. So Paul says he he wasn't sorry that he had to say those hard things. He, he wasn't excited that it hurt them. But he was looking forward to the, the positive result that would come, namely repentance and the restored, reconciled relationship. Kevin, a couple of weeks ago, talked about chapter 5, about being reconciled to God and, and, and us having this ministry of reconciliation. Well, what has to happen for Reconciliation. Our sins have to get addressed, and God has addressed them. He's addressed our sins by sending his son, Jesus, into the world, living a perfect life and dying for our sins, suffering and dying for our sins. He allowed allowed himself to be mistreated unjustly. He went to the grave, and he rose from the dead so that you and I can be forgiven, accepted, and have eternal life with him forever and be in the family of God. Okay, God has addressed our sins. But we also have a part to address concerning our sin. And that's called repentance. It's changing our mind, changing our direction, acknowledging that we have sinned against the holy God. Notice what he says. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You were made sorry into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss, Through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Repentance involves change, change of mind, change of direction. Now, oftentimes we don't change until we feel some pain, unfortunately. As C.S. Lewis says God whispers to us in the pleasures, but pain is like his microphone. Sometimes we need to feel the sting of our selfishness and our sin and feel sorry so that we can adequately take responsibility and acknowledge I've done wrong and God graciously forgives and he cleanses us. And so it's godly grief or godly sorrow that produces repentance that leads to life. This is a part of this is a part of conversion and becoming a Christian. Right right It's Jesus preached it, repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1, 15, right? That's what we do. That's a part of our response to what Christ has done or our response to the gospel. That's how he wants us to respond. But that's also, that's not just a one-time event for us. That's an ongoing lifestyle for us of repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. Now some of us may have negative connotations and when we hear the word repent, we're thinking about a street preacher out there with a sign that says repent, turn or burn. That may have been me out there that you saw at one point (laughs) out there preaching. Repent, right? Jesus went around preaching repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Paul preached repentance. But it's really a good and a beautiful thing. It's a good and a beautiful thing. It's not a negative thing. The Greek word Is metanoia, and it means a change of mode or thought and feeling. Repentance is what it's translated. Metanoia is translated as, or practice, practical reformation. I like that, reversal of the past. So the Greek word communicates the the idea of the change of mind and and change of thought and feeling. The old, the, the Hebrew word, the Old Testament. Word is, is, has more to do with this change of direction. Now, both has to happen. Repentance involves both, right? If you're going the wrong way, if you're driving downtown Dallas and you realize, and I've done this before, you turned on a one way street and you see cars coming at you and you're like, okay, I need to turn around. You, for, before you turn around, you realize that you're going the wrong way and that there's danger and you need to do a Yui. You need to, you need to turn around, right? And that's what repentance is. It starts with us recognizing that we have wronged God. J.I. Packer does a good job in describing this in his book, Passion for Holiness. He describes the steps as a, a, um, a realistic recognition that we have wronged God. Remember in Psalm 51, David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, blameless when you judge. David recognized, even though he had killed He committed adultery. He had hurt other people with his sins and he needed to repent for that. Ultimately, his sin was against God and he needed to focus on reconciling there and repenting there. So recognizing that he wronged God, um, regretful remorse at having dishonored God, reverent requesting of God's pardon, resolute renunciation of sin, requisite restitution of those we have hurt true repentance is preceded by as paul described it as is, uh, is preceded by godly sorrow and it's accompanied by earnest concern to clear oneself earnestness earnest concern to clear oneself indignation alarm longing zeal and a readiness to punish wrong to address the issue i think it's fitting here to quote Mr. Martin Luther from the uh, Protestant Reformation in 1517, 505 years ago, this German monk nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the Catholic Church, and he had a message to communicate regarding the corruption within the Catholic Church. And the very first one of those um, statements was, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. It's not just a one-time deal. It's a lifestyle of being changed, being transformed, changing our mind about how we see wrongly ourselves, the world, God, morality. We're renewing our mind with what God says. And a part of confession is agreeing with God when we confess our sins. Part of repentance is confession, and part of confession is agreeing with God and acknowledging god you 're right, and i 'm wrong on this, what I did was wrong, what I said was wrong on this, and getting in line with him and acknowledging that and so this is a lifestyle it 's not just a one one time thing this is ongoing for us and and we have been forgiven, and we have been cleansed and washed right? He tells the Corinthians that in chapter six, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. God has done that. Paul does the indicative imperative deal. Here's what God's done. Here's what's happened to you. You've been washed. But then in chapter seven, verse one, he says, cleanse yourselves. Like now live this out. Cleanse yourself of every defilement, every everything that you've, every sinful thing that you've allowed to defile you. Cleanse yourself and pursue holiness in the fear of God. And so, repentance is a lifelong project. And when we're walking in godly relationships, we help one another out with that. That's a part of loving well and, and having a healthy, godly relationship. Toxic relationships will just cover it up oh, it's okay, that's not that bad, and just lead you astray and allow you to continue down a self-sabotaging, self-destructive path. I love um, read this this week about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis's personal secretary was a man named Walter Hooper, and Hooper saw Lewis behind the scenes in a way that few others did. He worked for Lewis when he was an atheist elite teaching at one of the most prestigious universities in history. He saw him wrestle with God as Christ closed in on his rebellious heart and the hound of heaven drew near. And he observed him over the years as Lewis became a follower of Jesus and grew in his faith and sanctification. When asked about what Lewis's life was like behind the scenes, behind the books, the brain, the influence, and the fame, He had a simple reply. He was the most thoroughly converted man I ever met. He was the most thoroughly converted man I ever met. Isn't that a beautiful witness and testimony? Don't you want others to to say that about you? Don't you want that to be true of you? Now, of course, when you've lived an ungodly life and you've rebelled against God and the, the, the you know the, the contrast is is certainly more more clear when you've um, gone the path that he did is with in atheism and um, so what a beautiful what a beautiful testimony <clears throat> as moving closer to landing the plane let me just hit on this here worldly sorrow um, Paul talks about a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow and. <clears throat> He says that worldly, worldly grief is caused by—actually, uh, this is David Garland in his commentary. He says, worldly grief is caused by the loss of or denial of something we want for ourselves. It is self-centered. It laments such worldly things as failing to receive the recognition one thinks one deserves, having, uh, not having as much money as one wants, not getting something one covets, the selfishness of worldly grief gives rise only to despair, bitterness, and paralysis. It causes our souls to drown in self pity or turns the sorrow into a cankous sore. Worldly sorrow. A worldly sorrow produces death, Paul says. But a godly grief or a godly sorrow produces repentance. And it leads to life. And there's examples in Scripture. Who, come, who comes to your mind when you think about worldly sorrow and godly sorrow and repentance? How about Esau? He was sorry that he missed out on the blessing and he sold his birthright. How about Judas? Who hanged himself? How about Saul? Who even had a confession. He, he wept and he had a confession. Those are some examples of worldly sorrow. Maybe you know some people that have walked in a worldly sorrow. You've seen them cry some tears and it looks like they were really repenting, but their actions showed no evidence of being changed and being a thoroughly converted man or a woman. We've got other examples in the Scripture of people who have failed miserably but repented thoroughly, like David. David's a great example. And if you find yourself in that place, then use his prayer in Psalm 51 and pray that, internalize that. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. David was more focused on the relationship with God that had been damaged and hindered because of his sin rather than all the earthly, worldly things. That he had to experience grief over because of as, as a consequence to his sin. And this is what Godly Sorrow is Sorrowful truly about. That we've offended God, the most important party in the matter. Remember, Jesus was the one who said, blessed are those who mourn. This is what he's talking about. Mourning over our sin because we've blown it. We've blown it. We've sinned against the holy God for they shall be comforted. There's a promise. There's a blessing. Worldly sorrow produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance. It leads to repentance and to life. And so let me close with some application here in talking about godly relationships. Right on a journal page... What you desire and what God desires for your relationships and turn it into a prayer. For, for those of you who don't have a journal or don't, don't journal, you're digital. Write, write a note in your phone if you must. But write it out. Express to God your desire for relationships. I, I, I think most people probably aren't 100% satisfied with how deep their relationships are. Maybe not. Maybe there's some here who are just completely satisfied. But me this week, this is something I did this week as I spent some time away with the Lord. I wrote out a prayer in my journal entitled it, Called to Deeper. And I expressed my desire for deeper relationships. And this starts with relationship with God. And I spent some time in Psalm 139 and meditated on the reality of how he intimately knows me. I'm seen by him and he's for me and he's with me. I could talk to him about anything. And I want to go deeper with others. I don't want to just shoot the breeze and just talk about the weather and just talk about sports and talk about this or that and just stay at surface level with people. I want to go deeper in relationships. I want to be known. And I want to know others. What's going on in your life? Where we get past talking about facts, mere facts. And start sharing feelings, fears, and struggles, and doubts, hopes, and dreams, and desires, plans. Just going deeper, sharing heart to heart. So write that out this week. Turn it into a prayer. Pray over your relationships. And then be, be intentional in your relationships to open up. Some of us have to prepare mentally and emotionally to do this. It's more work. It's taxing to you. So you got to plan for it, plan a place and a time. We're going to meet up. We're going to talk. I'm going to be known by this person. Now, if, if you don't have this with your, your husband or wife, you need to start there. Well, if you don't have this with God, you need to start there. If you don't have this with your spouse, there. But it, it needs to go beyond just being known by your spouse. You should be known by your spouse intimately more than any other person in this world besides the Lord. But, but then who are those brothers and sisters that God has gifted you with to walk with? to walk alongside and be known, to be there together. I mean, it's a miserable thing to, 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 to fall and, and not have anyone there around you because you haven't invested in relationships. You've been isolated. Woe to him who falls and he's alone, right? But there's, there's strength being, uh, you know, a, 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 as Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. They, they lie down. They'll keep each other warm, uh, you know, and... and it mentions a, a three-chord strand will not easily be broken. And so we need one another. We need relationships. And we need to be intentional about opening up and speaking up in those relationships and listening up by preparing to share stories and struggles and ask good questions. Now, I was thinking about this in light of the holidays. You know, we've got Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas coming up. And I don't know about you, but there's been many times in the holidays or time with family that I've just left just thinking, gosh, I wish we could have talked about more. I wish we could have talked about the Lord and talked more about the Lord. I wish I wish, I knew so-and-so was really going through a hard time, and I wish we could have had a conversation about what they're going through, and we didn't get there. And so we have to be intentional. We have to plan for it when we walk into those situations, this holiday season, we need to pray for it and, and be thinking about what are we gonna share? What good questions can I ask to engage in conversation? We may need to do this when we meet up with another brother or sister. We may need to do this when we meet up for a community group, which by the way, we're meeting tonight. I think the Lejeune community, you guys meeting tonight? No. Uh, when, when you show up at community group, come with this intentionality that I'm gonna be known. I'm, I'm gonna aim to engage in heartfelt conversation. Some of you do this really well. Some of you do this really well, and I love it. It's, it's the part of the culture here at City Church. And others, others struggle with this. And lastly, commit to being present in a community group. Aim to develop deep relationships where you're, where you're known and where you know others, in which you mutually experience love and encouragement and enjoy. What a beautiful thing that we can be filled with joy by being in the presence of another brother or sister. We can absorb their presence in a sense and, and just take on some of that joy, that excitement, that confidence, that peace that they're walking in, that comfort that they're experiencing from God, and we can give that out. And so let's close. Forgive me for preaching one hour. Father, we desire to make room in our lives for you and for one another. We realize, God, that this is hard work. This takes intentionality. There is duty involved, but it is also a delight. It's a joy and it's worth it. You've created us for this. And so, Father, I pray that our relationships would flourish here within the body, that we would have harmony with one another, that together with one voice we would glorify you. And I pray that you would give us wisdom in establishing healthy boundaries with relationships with others that, would, that could lead us astray. Could hinder us in our walk with you. May we faithfully sharpen one another. May we be faithful. May we be available. And may we be trustworthy as we are vulnerable and open up and aim to be known. And may our joy increase as a result. Fill us with righteousness peace and joy in your Holy Spirit. May our relationships be marked by righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. May they be marked by love. May they be marked by truth. In Christ's name we pray.